Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. For information about being involved here, you can use that as well. Well, if you're asking the question, why a series on the Holy Spirit, let me kind of answer that for you. Uh, I think that all of us in this room come from very different backgrounds, uh, and, and those backgrounds or the ways that you were raised have led you to a particular perspective on who God is and the things that God has for you, and in particular, it can impact uh, how you view the Holy Spirit. And so uh, let me just kind of, kind of prove that to you for just a second. Uh, everybody play along here. Uh, if you grew up or spent any time being Catholic, would you raise your hand? All right. Uh, if you were, grew up and were Church of Christ, raise your hand. How about Lutheran? Raise your hand. How about Baptist? Raise your hand. All right. How about Methodist? Presbyterian? Some of you, you are, you're sitting there raising your hand on all of them. Yep, I was a little bit of that one. I was a little bit of that one. I did that one too. All right. If you were uh, Pentecostal or charismatic, go ahead and raise both of your hands. Yeah, right. Okay, there. So there you go. There's, there's them charismatics. They crazy people, right? But, uh, but and, and some of you, you're like, man, I didn't fit into any of those. I've just been a straight heathen. If that was you, go ahead and put up a, a rock on symbol like that, right? That was you. <laughs> All right. So, so, and, and honestly, as we approach this subject in particular, you're probably in a better position because you don't have any baggage to bring to the table. You're just, just a blank slate. We get to talk to you and tell you what the Bible says and... And uh, my, my goal is, because we all come from different backgrounds, to kind of get us all on the same page. And, and this isn't the, the Aaron version of who God is in the Holy Spirit. This is actually, what just what, I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. How about that? Is everybody all right with that? Tell you what the Bible says. Get us on the same page. Uh, because I, here's the thing. I think there's a lot of confusion about who the Holy Spirit is, and, and that's really nothing new. In fact, uh, our key verse for this series comes from Acts 19. This is uh, about 20 years after Jesus has left and the, church, the, the new church has already started and is moving and uh, there's two guys, Apollos and Paul, and they're out spreading the gospel, telling people the good news about Jesus. And, uh, and one decides to go to Corinth, and the other decides to go to uh, a different way to a city called Ephesus. And he says, there he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In other words, there's, there's a salvation experience. You can believe in Jesus and still not, not have the Holy Spirit active in your life, right? And, and their response was, we didn't, we didn't know. No, nobody even told us. And so I think that's the, that's the conversation today. I think there's people still to this day that really have no idea who the Holy Spirit is. The, the, or if they do, they're confused about who he is. Or some of you are just absolutely resistant to who he is because of the package that he's been presented to you in. And, uh, and, and, and I don't think that in, in that case where you're resisting, I don't think you're necessarily rejecting the Bible. You're just rejecting the way that they've said that, that having the Holy Spirit will play out in your life. And so I want to bring clarity to that. I want to help you see truly who he is in hopes that when you see who he is, that you'll run to him, not from him. And uh, that's why we started this whole series last week. If you missed the message, you can still listen to it. It's on, we podcast, right? So you can get that through iTunes or you can get that on Spotify. We also have it on our website and our Simple Church app. You can listen to the old messages uh, as well as on our Facebook page. I would encourage you, if you didn't get the, get the message, make sure you do listen to it. It'll take you about 30 minutes. That's a drive to and from work, all right, everybody? Just kind of redeem that time. But, uh, um, 
But last week's message was all about the, the nature of the Holy Spirit, who he is. And we paralleled him with the wind because actually the words used to translate Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit come from the words that mean a breath of fresh air or wind. And so we talked about how that paralleled in your life and really with the benefits of having him in your life. Uh, this week I want to do is I want to talk about something that uh, a word that, that typically uh, confuses and or scares people when they hear it. Uh, especially if you grew up the way I did, and that's the word Pentecost. Ooh. Oh, so maybe you guys aren't scared. You don't know what that word is. That's cool. That's awesome. Good for you. Well, a lot of people have questions about that, or they think to be Pentecostal means that you have to either wear too much makeup or no makeup at all, right? Because that's the way I grew up. Pentecostal church, right? Ladies couldn't wear makeup. No, they had to wear long dresses and long sleeves, and their hair had to be long, and there was, there was no TV, no movies, and no fun, pretty much what that was right there. So uh, that's the way I grew up. But, but that, that's not necessarily what Pentecost means. It's not, not, it's not what it means at all, actually. Pentecost is actually a day or rather an event that happened. And so like, before I share that with you, let me kind of give you the background leading up to this. Jesus has already lived his life. He's died on the cross, dead for three days and rose from the dead. Easter Sunday, you all know that. And now he spent some time with his disciples proving that he's alive and that he is who he was, and he's there for 40 days visiting them. And then he ascends into heaven, and 10 days later is when the Holy Spirit falls, and that's what they call the day of Pentecost. In fact, Acts 2.1 says, when the day of Pentecost came, all right? So this is, this is the, but, the, but the day of Pentecost didn't mean like this was the day the Holy Spirit was supposed to fall. That's the day that he fell. See, the day of Pentecost was actually a holiday, it was a holiday that the Jewish people celebrated. Now, when you look at, look at, at uh, the Jewish customs, even still today, there are seven holidays that they have, but three of them are the major holidays, and they kind of parallel our Easter, our Christmas, and our Fourth of July. It's like they're just the biggest ones that they celebrate, and, uh, and, and each one of them has a unique characteristic that I'm going to share with you today, and I'm actually kind of excited about them because when you look at these, these festivals that the Jewish people have been celebrating for thousands of years, and even, even a thousand years or more before Christ ever walked this earth, when you see that they're part of the commanded law in the Old Testament, God said, because of these events that you experienced, I want you to celebrate these every year, and, and how they parallel to what happened in the New Testament with Jesus' life. My hope is, is that you'll see that this Holy Spirit experience is something that God intended for you all along. That the Holy Spirit wasn't something new that just happened. That this was God's plan for you. And there, that what you saw play out in the Old Testament, especially through the events and then the festivals that celebrated those events, were what we call type and shadowing. In other words, God was saying all along, this is what I want to do in your life. And finally, when Jesus came, what God wanted to do was fulfilled. In fact, Jesus even said that. He was talking about, about the law that was given. He says this, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, let me help you understand what Jesus was talking about. A Bible didn't exist in Jesus's time. They had the law, which was the first five books of what we call our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those first five books, and the prophets, and the prophets were, these are, these are prophecies about what would happen in the future of, of, of Israel and prophesied about the Messiah. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He said, I didn't come to abolish these things and do away with them. He said, I came to fulfill them. And so we today as a church, we don't, uh, we don't honor the practices of the Old Testament, like these festivals and things, but we do embrace the principles that were taught there 
uh, from those things. So what that means is as you look at these things, again, like I said, you're going to see some foreshadowing in the Old Testament holidays. I think this stuff is neat, and if you geek out on Bible stuff like I do, you'll enjoy this, but you'll definitely enjoy what it points to either way. So, and, and, there's, and there's, there's definitely a reason why I want you to understand them. So here we go. Here's the first major holiday, and that was Passover. And this is probably one of the holidays you've heard of before. And if you haven't, uh, here's what, what it was, is that uh, the, the Hebrews, or the Jews, the, the Hebrews uh, were, there was a big famine in their land, and Egypt what, had plenty of food. And so they moved their, all their families into Egypt, and this is where they now lived because uh, they found Pharaoh, or favor with the Pharaoh. Well, that Pharaoh died, and a new Pharaoh came in, and they didn't have favor with him. He didn't know about the agreement. He didn't know about why they came, and that, that's a great story too, but I don't have time for that. But the new Pharaoh was intimidated by how much the, the Hebrews have, had uh, prospered and how big their families had gotten. He felt threatened by them, and he said, if we don't do something about these guys, they're going to take over our country. And so they enslaved all the Hebrews. And so for 400 years, the Hebrews are in, enslaved. God's people are crying out to him, asking to be released. And so God raises up Moses. And Moses, of course, goes to Pharaoh and does the let my people go. You know, for those of you who grew up in Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and he said, hey, we, we want to go. We need to let God's people go. And Pharaoh hardened his heart and said, no way. So God sends a series of plagues. There's these 10 plagues. And in each one, Pharaoh hardens his heart even more. He says, no way, I'm not letting the people go. But on the 10th one, the 10th one, God said, tonight, I'm sending an angel of death through all of Egypt. And all of the firstborns, will die. Firstborn of your livestock, firstborn of your children, they'll die. But God said, for you, my people, he said, if you'll slaughter a lamb and take its blood and put it over the post of your door, then when the angel of death passes through where you live, he'll see the blood and he'll pass over your home. And so this is what the celebration of Passover was all about. And here's how they chose to celebrate it, all right? Uh, the, the Passover lamb essentially was sacrificed at 9 a.m. Pay attention to this. It's important. The lamb was put in the oven to cook for eating later at 3 p.m. And the sacrifice, as they continued to celebrate it, was that the lamb covered their sins. Now, notice, notice I didn't say did away with their sins. Covered their sins, all right? But Jesus came to fulfill this holiday. And so on Passover, you need to know that, that Jesus actually was crucified on the day that the Jews celebrated Passover. And so Jesus was put on the cross at 9 a.m. Jesus was put in the tomb at 3 p.m. That's when he died, and they took him off the cross and laid his body to rest. And Jesus didn't come to cover our sins. His sacrifice removed our sins. So you see this beautiful picture of what was foreshadowed in the Old Testament, Jesus didn't cover our sins. He, he obliterated them. He, he removed our sins. They're gone forever. And so you can see this pattern. If you, just in case you think I'm stretching to make this happen, look here at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5. He said, for Christ, speaking of Jesus, is our Passover lamb. He's been sacrificed. And so as you talk to the Jewish people of that time, they would have understood that, but not us because these are not our holidays. But for them and for us, what you need to understand, what they would have gotten as they heard this message is that Passover represents our salvation. Passover represents our salvation. And so this, this, this holiday represents the fact that you can be saved. 
And now you'll notice that in this holiday, they didn't celebrate the fact that you'll be saved and that God has something for you to do. Like, like we understand that scripturally, that, that once you're saved, God has good works for you to do that he laid for you and planned for you before the foundations of the earth, before you were born. In other words, he didn't let you be born, see how you were wired and go, oh, well, I guess I'll have him do that. Before you were born, he said, I've made them to do this thing and I'll go ahead and make them according to that. And so God says, hey, I, I, I've got this, but he did not include this in this initial festival. The point of doing that was so that salvation stood alone. He didn't want you to believe in any regard at all, nor do I want you to believe that your salvation has anything to do with you at all. <laughs> it actually has everything to do with Jesus and who he is and what he decided to do for you. That salvation is free. It's not based on the good works that you could do. You couldn't earn it. And so this, soul, this event stands alone. In fact, Paul said this. He said, for it's by grace. Grace is that when you receive something you didn't earn. It's, it's for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It has nothing to do with you. It's a gift of God. Not by works. It's not by stuff that you can do so that nobody can boast. So nobody gets to say, I earned this. I did this on my own. No, every single one of us is in the same place where we say, I received this free gift. That I was a sinner in need of a savior and God saved me. End of story. That's us. Level playing field. Now, I understand when we start talking about free stuff, F-R-E-E doesn't always mean F-R-E-E, does it? In fact, you can go to a bank and they're advertising, they'll give you something for free if you sign up for an account. You walk in there and it ain't nothing free. There ain't nothing free. They got this little thing called an asterisk that you didn't see when you read the advert, right? And you came in and they were like, oh, yeah, well, so you get that free if you jump through these hoops and do this. Listen. When I say that salvation is free, there ain't no asterisk. Jesus gave you this gift for free. It cost him everything, but it cost you nothing. That means you don't have to join this church. You don't have to come to church every Sunday. You don't have to serve. You don't have to give nothing at all in order to have salvation. It's free. It's for you, and you should take it. And in fact, if you haven't said yes to Jesus and received salvation, you can do that at the end of this message today. We'll give you an opportunity. But Jesus says, give me your life, I'll take your mess, and I'll give you my life. And so you can have that today. It's important. Salvation stands alone, but it's only the beginning of what God has for you. The second major holiday is what we call Pentecost. Now, Pentecost, uh, it, 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 in some circles and to some people, that's a scary word because of what it might represent. Let me tell you what Pentecost means. There's the Pentecost is two words, pente and cost or costi, as it was originally written. Penti means five, costi means times 10. So five times 10 is what? Here's some mathletes here. Thank you for playing along. I appreciate that. They said 50. It's 50. Yeah. Be bold in your mathletism. It's all right. 10 times five is what? 50. There you go. Thank you. So, so you know what Pentecost means? 50. There you go. Not so scary at all, right? That's all it means. And Pentecost was, was simply this. It was a celebration 50 days after they came out of Egypt that God gave them the law, that there was a day that Moses went up on the mountain and God gave him the Ten Commandments. You know, Charlton Heston style, right? Like the Ten Commandments. God wrote them on tablets of stone. That's, the, that's what they're celebrating. That's all that it means. They came out of Egypt. They crossed through the Red Sea with style. And here they arrive at this mountain. And so the way they celebra celebrate what happened was there's a cloud descended with a loud noise and fire on top of the mountain, and Moses is up there. 
God wrote his law on tablets of stone. That's the Ten Commandments you saw. And then the last thing was 3,000 people died that day. (laughs) You say, well, that sounds like a terrible thing to celebrate. Well, it's not. That's just the event of that day. Because when Moses came down off the mountain, he actually was so upset with his brother Aaron because he had, had created a calf made of gold. Moses threw, the, threw the, the stone tablets down, broke them all up, got mad at Aaron, and 3,000 people died as a result. Like if you read the story, like this is kind of boss what Moses does. He grinds down the golden calf that they were now worshiping, puts it in powder, makes everybody drink it. <laughs> That's a pretty boss thing to do. I'm not saying that I agree with that or that I would make anybody do that. Uh, I'm just saying that's what he did. And so 3,000 people died that day as a result of their, their worship of an, of an idol. So, so Pentecost is celebrating that. Now, watch how God uses this, New Test- or this holiday in the New Testament, all right? So now, fast forward to Jesus is, is already resurrected, and, and he's been gone uh, for 10 days, and Pentecost arrives, and the Holy Spirit descends with a loud sound and fire, just like the mountain for Moses, God wrote his law on our hearts, so when he gave us the Holy Spirit, now we not only have the law that is external, now we have the law that we internalize, and now we're not trying to live according to the law. We want to because it's on the inside of our hearts, right? It's different. And 3,000 people got saved that day. Peter went out and preached, and 3,000 people said yes to Jesus. And I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of what God does here. Check out his word in, in Acts 1. It says, after his suffering, talking about Jesus being on the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So he shows the holes in his hands and his pierced side. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. You said, aha, Aaron, I thought you said it was 50 days. Boom, roasted. Okay, so the 40 days is the days he was here. I'll show you the 10 in a moment. It says, he hung out with them for 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave him this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. How many days do they have to wait? <clears throat> 10. 10 plus 40 is? There you go. For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why, Aaron? Why were they baptized in the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked. Acts 1.8, this is continuing on in that verse. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen, the power, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not to save them. Salvation was a separate event. Baptism in the Holy Spirit was to give them power to live their life on mission so that the disciples could take the good news about Jesus and tell everybody. And so he starts listening. He's like, Jerusalem, that's their hometown. Judea, that's a nearby city. And Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. That'd be like saying to Reynoldsburg, Columbus, Whitehall, Pataskala, and then, oh, yeah, go ahead and just take care of the rest of the world, right? I mean, that's just, that's what it would be like saying. And so what is Pentecost really about? Well, it's not about wild church services. It's not about getting goosebumps. It's not about people falling over and you covering them up with courtesy cloths. That's not what it's all about. I think the enemy has taken Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, put them in a package that people are just like, ooh, I'm not sure that I want that. That seems a little, uh, no, that's not for me. Thank you. And they've scared people away from a relationship with the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to tell you, You need the Holy Spirit in your life to be successful, especially in your Christian life. So what is Pentecost? Pentecost is the power to make a difference. That's what we would understand. It is power to make a difference, the power to do what God has called you to do because you can't do it on your own. Here's the third holiday. It's tabernacles. It's tabernacles. So the first two 
holidays, Jewish holidays, are found in the spring. This one actually happens in the harvest season, so it's later on in the year. It's in the fall. And tabernacles was a celebration of the fact that the, the Hebrew people or the Israelites, when they left Egypt, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. After God gave them the law, 40 years they were there looking for God to lead them to the promised land. And while they were in the promised land, they lived in tents, okay? And so finally they, they wound up there. And by the way, this word tabernacle or the Feast of Tabernacle, that word Tabernacle just means tents, okay? So, so they lived in tents in the desert. It was really intense. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I did that. That's good. Yeah. Listen, some of you need to lighten up a little bit. You're like, are we allowed to laugh? Is this okay? Yeah, please enjoy yourself. I think church should be fun. All right, everybody? Amen? Should be fun. So here's what they're celebrating, the fact that they were in their temporary homes. So they were wandered and living in temporary huts. They were brought to their final home, and they celebrated it during the harvest season, all right? So this was the Old Testament uh, version of that. And so here, here we see the tabernacles being fulfilled in the New Testament. We are living on this temporary earth. We're all here. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that we'll live in, right? That's what's coming for us, Paul said, that, that we're all just aliens here. We, we're, we're just kind of here for a little bit, and, and we'll be into our next place, our eternal home. We'll be brought to our final home, which is heaven, and then there's going to be a great final harvest of people. You're like, Aaron, are we really living in that time right now? Yeah, we are. The Bible says that in the last days, God's Spirit would be poured out on all men. So from the time that the Holy Spirit was given, the clock started ticking. We were in the, we were in the last days. But I believe we're in the really, really last days because here's the deal. Did you know that sent from Christ's time to the year 2000, that more people have gotten saved from the year 2000 to 2019 than that entire 2000 years? I think more people have said yes in the last 19 years than in the previous 2000 years. That, that's staggering. We are living in a harvest generation. You say, well, what does that mean? Or does that mean that Jesus is on his way back, that God's returning? Probably. I mean, I think so. You say, well, you're just trying to scare me. No, I'm not. I'm your pastor. I love you. I just want you prepared, right? I want you ready for what that means. Check it out, because this is going to happen. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, for the Lord's going to come down from heaven with a loud command and with, and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. That means that Christians that have died... Their spirits are already in heaven, but their bodies are going to get up and join them. They'll go first. It says, after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we're going to be with the Lord forever in heaven. That that is going to happen. So here we see that the tabernacles, the way that festival is fulfilled, is that the tabernacles represents the second coming of Christ. And so there's these three major holidays, okay? Three major things that, that are represented here that you need to know about your Christian life. And it all begins with Passover, meaning receiving what Jesus did for you on the cross, that, that, that he died for our sins, not to cover them, but to wipe them out completely. You can't earn it. It's totally free. That the next step there is to walk through Pentecost. And Pentecost was about giving you God's spirit and power so that you could live your life on mission and make a difference in other people's lives. That's what it was for. And all of this was so that you and I could live our lives in such a way to do what God's heart beats after. 
and that is to rescue his lost kids and see them in heaven. So that one day when we go there, God wants as many people as he can there with him in heaven. And you need to believe that. You need to know that you're part of that rescue team. God has a mission for you so that you can spend eternity in heaven with as many people as possible. So I think most of us understand the cross and and most of us understand heaven, but it's this middle part. It's this Pentecost part. It's the receiving the Holy Spirit. We don't quite understand the age that we're living in right now. So let me let me just share this with you, that, that the people that experienced Pentecost the day the Holy Spirit was given, they didn't understand even, though they had many prophecies, though they were celebrating it year after year. <coughs> Acts 2.12 says, they were amazed and perplexed, and they asked one another, what does this mean? I think that's a picture of us. We, we're confused about what this time means and who the Holy Spirit is. But Pentecost is just simple to understand. God wanted to give you power for your life to empower you for several things. And, and there are three that I think that he wants, three things or three ways he wants to empower you. I've only got time to talk about two. If you want the third one, you can tune into my Not, the Not In My Notes web series that I've been doing, uh, and I'll give you the third one there. But the first one is that, that he gives you the Holy Spirit to empower you to live a supernatural life, to live supernaturally. And when you look at Jesus' life, he lived a supernatural life. What does that mean? It means that he went around doing good means that he went around making a difference, but he did it in a way where he was healing people. He raised people from the dead. He, he, he cured blinded eyes and leprosy and all kinds of diseases. In fact, his best friend, John, said that if they were actually to record all that Jesus did, all the good works that he did, all the people that he healed, and that there wouldn't be enough books to contain it all. Like, it was just a lot. But Jesus, Jesus having lived a life like that, a supernatural life like that, he looked at his disciples and speaking to them, the seed of them all the way down through generations. So he's talking to us. He said, I've, I've done all this stuff, but greater works you're gonna do. That means that there's that, that greater than what Jesus did will, that we will do, that, that he wants us to live a supernatural life. And we struggle with that a little bit. I understand that, but we honestly need to get to a place where we believe that God can do this because it really has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with his Holy Spirit and his desire to be a blessing to his people has nothing to do with you. And living a life, a supernatural lifestyle, you don't, it doesn't have to be goofy. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be spooky. In order for you to believe that God still does miracles and he wants to use you to do them. You, you just don't have to be. And some of you, I understand what you're, that you're not too sure, but I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna encourage you. <laughs> the only way for you to know for real that, that, that this is true, that God wants you to live a supernatural life is for you to embrace it. This is one of the, one of the things, that, that all that God has for you, you can take my word for it all day long, but until you experience it for yourself, you're never really gonna know. You're never gonna really know. And so I would encourage you just to embrace the Holy Spirit, embrace the life that he has for you, because I promise it's better. In fact, the word encourages you to taste and see that the Lord is good that his ways are good. What he has for you is good. Acts 10, 38 says this, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Why? Well, for the work that he has for him to do. Same for you. It says, then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to live the life that God has for us. And, we, and honestly, we need it more than we need cool lighting. 
we need it more than, than we need like a hip location to have church in. We need it more than we need our skinny jeans. We need it more than, than we need, you know, the smoke and haze. We need it more than we need to ha- have a rocking band. Like all those things are great. And I love that, that we have a, a high level of excellence and are able to do those things and have ways to, to work out and live out the, the gifts and talents God has put in our lives. But you understand all those things are great, but they do not trump the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. They do not trump the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our services. We need that even more. In fact, Paul said this in regards to his preaching. He said, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. In other words, he didn't quote a whole bunch of people. He didn't have wise and pithy things to say. He wasn't funny, right? He didn't come at them with comedy and entertainment. He said, no, I didn't do any of that stuff. He said, my words, he said, they didn't even matter. He said, I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And here's what I promise you. I promise you if you join us on this journey to embrace the Holy Spirit, walk with us, I promise that you're going to encounter God's power for your life. Because you need to know that it's available for your marriage that needs mended. It's available for your body that needs to be healed. It's available for the addiction that needs to be broken. It's available to change your life. It's absolutely available. There's power for your situation and for every situation in your friends and families and even the strangers in your life. It's available for you. You can be empowered to live supernaturally. The second thing he wants to give you power for is the Holy Spirit empowers you to live on mission. You to live on mission. Listen, I'll just say this, and I'll just kind of share this bluntly and, and with very little apologies But if you're looking for a church that is just all about you, is looking to meet your needs, then you might possibly be in the wrong church. Let me explain. We have plenty of things to help you in your life, to help you in your marriage, to help you find financial health, to help you find health in every area of your life. We offer our groups and counseling. We'll help you. But our focus, our focus is on those that are not yet here. Our focus is is on those that are far from God and need to experience what a life-giving relationship with Jesus looks like. That's our focus. We want to help you with your issues. We want to see you grow individually, spiritually, relationally, all those ways. But our focus is on people. That's the mission that we're called to. God didn't just give us power to be better versions of ourselves. He gave us power to be on mission. What's our mission as a church? to reach people that are far from God, to feed the hungry. That's why we partner with organizations like the Heart Food Pantry here in Reynoldsburg and the Columbus Dream Center in downtown. We serve there, we give there, we fund them so that they can continue the work even when we're not able to be there. That, it, our, our, our mission is to plant churches. We planted our first church last year. But in, in between planting churches, us personally doing it, investing in people to do that, We give away every month. You know, we give away 10% of everything that you give here at this church. And the majority of that percentage goes to church planning efforts here in Ohio and across the country and across the world. We're called to do that. We're called to give generously to people who are going places that we'll never, ever be able to go. And so we have missionaries that we give to. We're called to bring light into this world for those who are lost. 
Like, we love you. We'll serve you. But our focus is on those that aren't here. Our focus is on people that we need to reach. The thing is, we can't do any of this on our own. Yes, we need you, but beyond needing you to accomplish the mission, we need God's power. You need God's power in your life. That's why Paul said, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. Everybody say power. Power. With the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And I want this for you so bad. I want you to experience God's power that is available for your life and for others. I want you to experience the relationship with the Holy Spirit because I'm gonna tell you it's what brings conviction so that people realize their need for their Savior. And I want, you, I want you to have that so you can live out your life on mission and make a difference in the lives of others. It's what I want for you. But here's the thing. I've got one little pet peeve about all this and then I'm gonna button up this message and close. But I have an issue with the way that we package this whole thing. I think it's a shame that, that we have an experience and we, we say, all right, this is all that God is and we put him in a little box. And we tell people, if you don't experience God this way or if you don't experience the Holy Spirit this way, well, then you don't have it right. See, we start experiencing God moving our lives and he'll start doing things. He may even give you gifts, maybe have gifts of healing for other people or there's a whole list of gifts and I'll talk about those next week, by the way. And yes, the one you're probably thinking I'll talk about, we'll do it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about tongues next week, next week. But some of you experience gifts of the spirit or you experience him some spiritual health in your life and as a result, you kind of get, a, you, you acquire some pride in the process. And because of what God's doing in your life, you start looking down on other people. Saying, well, you don't have spiritual health like I do. If you don't have the Holy Spirit like I do, that, that you're not worthy. And we start creating divisions in the church. That's how different denominations start, honestly. But that's not what we're gonna do. That's not who we're gonna be. This attitude of you don't have what I have has no place in this teaching and who the Holy Spirit is. Has no place at all. God didn't call us to a, a denomination. He called us to a mission. He called us to unity, and he called us to a power that is only available through the Holy Spirit. Amen, everyone? You can't have the life that God has for you without the Holy Spirit in your life. And even if you encounter him and he's working in you and through you, you need to remember that being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. And that's where you need to hang out. So, you want to know how the Holy Spirit works in you, how you can be filled with the Spirit? Come back in the next two weeks. I'll share with you. I promise, all right? But for now, let's just take a moment and pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your son and all that he accomplished, the free gift of salvation he gives us. But today, we focus on your Holy Spirit, and we just thank you for giving him to us to be a comforter, a counselor, a teacher, and so many things. Thank you for empowering us to live supernatural lives and to be able to live our life on mission. I know there are plenty of people here today that, God, the greatest prayer they can pray is, God, I want to know you. So I want to encourage you today to pray that prayer. God, I want to have all that you have for me. Pray, fill me with your spirit. Give me your power to live the life and fulfill the mission you have for me. And if you'll be so bold as to pray that prayer, 
I know that the Holy Spirit will fill you and begin to move in your life in a new and profound way. But I also know there are others of you in this room that, that what's next for you, because that might be the next step for those that are already Christ followers. But for you, your next step is actually your first step. And that first step is a step towards Jesus, to receive what he did for you on the cross, to confess your need for him, receive his grace, be forgiven, made brand new and a relationship with God restored. And, and if that's you and you're here today, I'm gonna pray a prayer in a moment that if you'll join me on that prayer, it'll change the tr very trajectory of your life. But I'm not gonna make you stand up or come to the front. You can pray where you are. My only ask is that you would let me know you're praying this prayer. So if you're gonna join me and say yes to Jesus today, would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me today. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna join you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Proud of you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Church, can we all just, just pray together? You don't have to pray out loud if you want to, but you need to mean this in your heart. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Today's the day I give you my life. Now give me your life. Show me how to live for you and fill me with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.